we happen to work with mostly businesses in the trades, right? Sometimes you can pigeonhole yourself into thinking I'm just a painter, but you've clearly taken that and upended it. You're not just a painter. You're helping to change people's lives. You're giving them skills. You might get three or four years of work out of them and they might transition into something different or maybe Mm -hmm. not. But no matter what, when they're with you, they're your focus. And the painting is almost incidental. It's just the means to the end. It's not the why. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. NCG's Director of Operations and Senior Coach Catherine Freeman is back as our host for a continuation of her series focusing on the entrepreneurial spirit. On our last episode of the series, Bill Kelly of Kelly Brothers Painting shared his story and the passion that drives him to pursue entrepreneurial outlets and diversify his life in such rewarding and grounding ways. Today, we are so grateful to welcome Nate Anderson, owner and CEO of Anderson Painting based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Nate, another long-term Summit member, is a mission-based entrepreneur who is passionate about people and helping them realize their fullest potential, and does so in a way that is uniquely inspiring to employ and support refugees in the Triangle area. People are his passion and make no mistake, Nate lives his truth fully. From helping refugees acclimate to the community, supporting their mountain of challenges, and showing them their true potential, he has with open arms welcomed their employment at Anderson Painting. This community work has positively impacted the business and the growth potential is high-reaching. That's what we call doing well by doing good. Fun fact, 10 different languages alone are represented in his company. It's an amazing story, and we thank you, Nate, for sharing your perspective, utilizing your skills, and entrepreneurial spirit to change the lives of others. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. Well, thanks, Molly, very much for that uh, great introduction. Uh, I'm so interested and intrigued to have this conversation with Nate Anderson. As you know, this is a part of our entrepreneurship series, and there are a lot of different ways that business owners approach the idea of entrepreneurship. And there are three, not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of crossover in a lot of business owners, but there's three things that I think a lot of our business owners really focus on. One is passion. One is strategic. And in the case of Nate Anderson, it's mission. Uh, so Nate, welcome to the Out of the Hour podcast. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Why it's great to be here. Why don't you um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and and I guess, what what the industry is that you're currently involved in and, and how really mission is important to it. Yes, I'm the owner of Anderson Painting. We've been in business since 2006 and um, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, originally from Portland, Oregon. So we've been doing business now for about 15 years and we are a full service residential commercial painting company. We do interior, exterior painting, 
along with carpentry. I have a carpentry division and a concrete floor coating division. So that's really everything about us in a nutshell. That's fantastic. Now tell me a little bit more about the um, mission here. So what, when, when I, one of the things that I've always liked and respect about you so much is that, you know, you're, you're in this business, it supports you, it supports your families, but it supports a whole host of families as well, right? This is, yeah. this is a part of who you are and what you do. So what is, what is this mission that you're on? Yes. So I would say Anderson Painting actively seeks out trains and employs refugees in the Triangle area. So if you're not familiar with North Carolina, the Triangle is Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. And mm -hmm. um, so we have a large surface area. And um, we work with many different organizations to um, employ refugees that come in to our area. Um, there are many different groups um, coming here for, for whatever different reasons, depending on what time um, and what world issues there are mm -hmm. in, our, in our midst. Um, so many different languages. So we have 10 different languages represented in our company, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Um, we'll get to communication in a minute because that's, that's so vital and that's got to be, you know, yeah. challenging, but I mean, what, how did you get engaged in refugees to start with? Yeah. So we sponsored along with a few other families, we sponsored a refugee family for their first two months being here in the United States. They were originally from Myanmar and mm -hmm. um, they came over and they got off an airplane with a bag each, like a grocery bag each. So really starting from scratch and knew no one, um, never been here, didn't really know any English at all. And so um, pretty powerful experience meeting them at the airport and just helping them get from the airport when they first arrived to their new apartment. And then with um, about six or seven different families, we kind of helped them get their kids in school, get situated at home, get, we furnished the apartment before they came into the country. And then we um, helped them once they got here, learn how to shop and get groceries, and then just do all the immunizations, um, doctor's appointments, you know, all those different things that have to happen when a new family comes in and we, we, they need to kind of get integrated in American life. So anyway, that's kind of how we started um, the whole process. That was about 12 years ago and um, kind of how we went from there was um, at the end of those two months, after the people were here, kind of got acclimated. The there were two guys in the family, the father and one of the one of the um, I think it was like a uncle um, that needed jobs, and so we were talking about employment opportunities. And I had just started Anderson Painting, or had been in business for a little while, and so I said, "Well, I could see if they could paint," and 
we started kind of headed in that direction. Um, we picked them up every day, dropped them off every day. They couldn't drive yet. I mean, there was just a ton of initial challenges right off the bat. And right. we, we just tried to work with those or work around them to make it work for kind of a win-win situation for Anderson painting and for them. And, um, they, it was training was a challenge. Um, training them was not easy at first, not having any communication or good language, but, um, in the end it worked out and we started to develop processes and plan for the challenges that we realized were evident in their lives when they came in to the country. So. Now, so you've, you've mentioned two specific challenges already, right? One, well, actually I should say three. So communication, training, transportation, no small challenge. You know, Nate, when you talk about it, like the, the mountain of challenges seems almost insurmountable, but it be, but it was important to you. Why was it important? Um, I, when I looked around and kind of started surveying the types of jobs that were available to a refugee family, it seemed um, super discouraging um, Mm -hmm. to me. If I was in their shoes, I was, um, I was seeing um, certain opportunities working for universities locally um, but they could, they would only work them through the school year. So then they'd have three months off in the summer. So they wouldn't be full time. They wouldn't have, cons- they wouldn't have consistent work. Um, and the pay was extremely low. And so having a livable wage um, in a, in the situation of a new refugee family that wants to come in and really kind of start the American dream process. <laughs> Um, seem to be pretty challenging. I mean, it it does seem like the challenges were insurmountable, but if you kind of flip the situation and put yourself in their shoes, the challenge on their end was even even greater, like a Mount Everest of challenges, just unbelievable. So for for them to reach whatever summit they have in mind would be, I don't know how, maybe generations away is what it looked like to me. Right, right. And here you have this brand new business. And I mean, how how we came about this uh, topic or this conversation here is because when at the Grand Summit recently in Nashville, you talked a little bit about how the, you know, the the world, maybe it's the United States, but it feels like it feels like everybody right now is having hiring challenges. And, Mm. and yet now you've identified a core group of people that you can assist, but then also can help be a part of the growth of Anderson painting and actually fuel that growth. So it's, it looked insurmountable for them. It was even more, but the reality of it is this works because it helps to fuel your business. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Years later, it's, all the hard work is seeming to look like it's paying off. <laughs> yes, it is paying off. <laughs> it looks like a thing. Definitely. Um, let's take a second here. I want to separate for just a minute. 
Um, because part of the entrepreneurial mindset is, you know, where did that come from? Um, and what was the, the first thing that you were ever engaged in? Well, um, I kind of went way back to my childhood here. And mm -hmm. um, I remembered, I used to pick blueberries with, with my brothers. Um, and my parents had a really small farm. We would we'd go out to the blueberry patch and um, pick blueberries. And one time I got the idea, well, what if we go down to the, it was a cannery called Scenic Fruit. And it was probably a mile away from my house. What if we picked a bunch of blueberries and went down there and tried to sell them um, to the cannery to see what we could make? And um, kind of, um, like I said, going way back. And um, I think I got two bucks for like a flat of blueberries <laughs> at the time. <laughs> right. It was, it, was, um, it was definitely not rewarding um, enough to head in that direction. I think um, it was unbelievable how much time we put into picking this large amount of blueberries and then getting a few dollars. It was probably an hour's worth of work or two hours worth of work or so. Right. So that was pretty discouraging. Um, that was one of my earliest memories and kind of an entrepreneurial plan or idea. Um, my brothers and I, my dad, taught us to work hard so we we um, he also taught us how to stain one of our decks and mm -hmm. so we thought well we could start staining decks here we know how to do this we have the tools and um we did we started some um deck staining projects and those worked out okay um i do remember maybe breaking even on my first few just not knowing anything about business whatsoever right and um, I have, I don't really have anybody in my family that was entrepreneurial. So in my immediate family, there wasn't anybody cheering me on towards that end at all. Um, my grandfather had owned a business, but he was, he, um, he was really too old to do any coaching or, you know, right. Teaching me at that point. So um, we went from, staining decks to starting to paint houses so we started doing that in high school and um, that really started to turn a pretty good profit um, in the summertime in Oregon you can only paint in the summer um, summer fall a little bit in the spring but the winter is just cold wet damp and so it was really difficult to do any do anything outside other than in the summer so let me ask you a question there, because you you said you turned to profit. I mean, in high school, I mean, were you were were those words that you used? Did you did you talk about it in terms of profit? What was you had money in your pocket? Like, how did that go? Yeah, um, I don't I don't know that I used those words, but mm -hmm. we were definitely um, I was able to save funds. Good. And um, I had I had a cell phone really quickly right after we started doing that so I could communicate with customers and I slowly got purchased my own tools and equipment rather than using my dad's or someone else's equipment um so so yeah um we I learned from from failure 
um, over and over. We learned a lot quickly and there was a low risk at that time for us because we were young and we had time on our side. Right. No, fa- no families yet. No, just a, yeah. just a money to save. That's fantastic. That's right. yep. But you, you also went into education. I mean, I think that's, that's maybe mm-hmm. where, when I think about the Nate Anderson story, that, that to me is like, okay, so you, you started a business or you worked, you worked and saved money. You went to school, you became a teacher. Now yep. that's the helping your community piece. Here's the making money piece. Mm-hmm. Hard, hard to make money as a teacher. <laughs> yeah. So, and you said you're, you, the structure of the education system didn't necessarily work for you, right? You're, you've, you're a free thinker. That's you're, right. Yeah. 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 So I went, graduated high school, went to um, Western Oregon University, which was a, originally a teaching school. So I became a teacher in Oregon and then I met my wife and that's another story. Met her that's, in Thailand. Mm-hmm. But um, then we. That's a good story. I know that story. <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely you can ask me about that later. But mm-hmm. um, we. She went to North Carolina State University and I moved. I got a job teaching over the phone. They needed teachers extremely bad in North Carolina. So I became a biology, earth science, physical science. Um, I taught, also taught anatomy and physiology. So um, we, we did that for a few years in North Carolina at the time. The starting wage for a teacher was like $27,000. And I was a long ways from home. And I really, we had just started our family. So um, as, as my three girls um, <clears throat> started to come, we really needed to make more. And so I went back to painting. Um, I had been painting in the summer, of course, as a teacher, but I mm-hmm. uh, went, went to full-time painting in 2006. And, and um, I felt like I could continue to teach through training skills and leadership as a paint contractor. So through my employee um, retainage, um, just trying to keep the employees um, learning new skills and teaching them leadership um, the ones that wanted to learn how to lead. That was the way that I could continue teaching in this profession. So, yeah. And, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's, that's one of the things that we, we often talk about, we don't talk about enough. And that is, you know, in the, in the, we happen to work with mostly businesses in the trades, right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can pigeonhole yourself into thinking I'm just a painter, but you've clearly taken that and upended it you're not just a painter. You're, you're helping to change people's lives. You're giving them skills. You might get three or four years of work out of them and they might transition into something different or maybe Mm -hmm. not, but no matter what, when they're with you, they're your focus. And the painting is almost incidental. It's just the means to the end. It's not, it's not the why. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The, yeah, people are my passion and I just enjoy um, encouraging people, especially coming from a refugee background. People Mm -hmm. that come in that way don't always know, um, you know, how to find their identity or 
know where they've come and where they're going with and have a plan on how to get to the next level. So we assist them in kind of their own vision for their path moving forward. So that's great. Yeah. A little, a little practical information here, because, you know, I think for those businesses uh, out there who maybe can devote the time, money and energy necessary to transition people who have nothing, no skills, no language skills into competent painter. I mean, where do you start? So the best way to get involved with refugees is to contact your local refugee resettlement organization. And basically they um, are nonprofit organizations that help integrate refugees into American life. And they usually have a, a connection in country, wherever the people are coming from. So if it was um, Syria, they'd have a Syrian office that would help people um, vet. They would vet the refugees. And then once they're vetted and they get approved to come, they would give them their plane ticket and um, fly the fly the family to wherever it is they're supposed to resettle. And then once they're here in country, like I said earlier, there's about a two-month period of time where they let the people acclimate train them and so many to survive here and and um, whatever the basic needs are they try to take care of those and then after about a month or a month and a half then they start searching for jobs for the family members that are old enough to work and that have the time so there's just a ton of ways you can start by volunteering you don't have to employ right off the bat I would get involved and be involved with some community um, um, in, in the refugee communities. Um, if you could, before you kind of go in and have this huge vision, um, but um, just being involved with the family at first or helping a refugee resettlement group in any way they need help would be a great way to get started with the process. So giving your local refugee resettlement organization a call and trying to volunteer at first would be just a great starting point. Because I, I heard you say two things there that I think are, are worth maybe pointing out. The, the first one being the, the personal connection that you can have with somebody. So if I think back to that, that first family that you assisted with and the, did you say it was a father and a son that you, you know, kind of made that connection with and, and brought into the business mm-hmm. like now, now you've got a personal reason and it, and it resonates with you. And so you can take the effort, the time, the money to make that person uh, a, a competent painter. So that's that first thing would be a personal connection. The yeah. other piece of it is, uh, you know, for, for anybody who's interested in doing something like this, th- this is a long game. This is not right. a short game. Yeah. And so, you know, we're recording this in November and... What does it look like to bring somebody on if you're thinking about your busy season? You're mm. maybe a little late now. <laughs> you know, you, you want to contact people if this is a long game. And, and so you can't, you can't yeah. maybe think about this in terms of, well, I'm going to need to hire six people 
um, December 1st. And so I'm going to contact them and I'll have six people by then because, you know, that's a, a long yeah. game. Yeah, it's definitely a long-term vision and you have to take, take it in baby steps um, mm-hmm. for sure, slowly. And um, you have to have a team that's willing to support um, your vision and your plan as well. So at this point, we have two of our um, three project managers have come from the ground up. They have worked their way from the bottom all the way up through the company. And they have been with me for five, um, four to five years each. And Mansur and Noman are both project managers now. And Mansur came from Pakistan. Noman came from Syria. And um, they are really good at what they do at this point. They're good at training. Um, they're good at welcoming new people into the company. They're good at finding ways to um, integrate and um, assist in any, any, anything that may get in the way of having a healthy employee from um, like transportation, logistics, to um, putting them on a team with someone who now speaks their own language. Um, so it's, it is a lot of work. It's taken a long time to get here. And it is at every level, there's new challenges. I'm definitely going through new challenges with um, what we're currently doing at this point, just because we are providing a lot of services that um, we haven't done in the past, like transportation. And um, it, it is a little more challenging. The more, right. the more we dive into it. So. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things that we, we said before as we were preparing is, you know, part of this is doing well by doing good. And, you know, I remember when you and I worked together years and years ago that you, you strategically sacrifice a little bit of gross profit here because mm-hmm. that's your contribution to the world, right? Yeah. Um, and it isn't that you're giving away the farm. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not mindful because like I said, you're supporting your family and other families. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but part of it is that recognition. You're, you mentioned transportation, communication, and training, all of which cost a little bit of money. So that's, yeah. that's something that you go in eyes wide open, right? You're not. That's right. Yeah. Definitely. <clears throat> so um Back to big picture. So when you think about the entrepreneurial spirit, what are the things that you do to foster that within yourself? Hmm. We, um, I try to stay up on current leadership books. I love reading and educating myself and any little tidbit of information that I can pick up to help me be a better leader or a better supporter. Um, a better coach to my team. I'm definitely trying to do that at all times. I love being a part of Summit as well because then I'm able to surround myself with other entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, my family does not have that environment. And so it's for the longest time, my family actually deterred me from being becoming an entrepreneur who I bet they did, right? It's foreign. It's a, it's a foreign concept. What you wanted to work for yourself. What? (laughs) Yeah. So I have tons of friends now through summit specifically, and 
who share my entrepreneurial spirit and can encourage me and help me um, see things differently and continue to grow uh, myself. And I love challenging myself. Um, sometimes that's not always easy, but cascading change is super important. Um, it is. Nowadays with the new norm after COVID. <laughs> yeah, right. And so if we're not willing to change, we're really probably heading backwards. So right. it's um, definitely a lot, but, uh, but it's encouraging knowing that there's other people out there doing it and, and they have challenges that I'm able to, may able to help them with. So um, it's good to have a support group around you um, kind of wading through life and dealing with similar challenges, maybe not the same exact one, but it's been great. That's fantastic. I, I got a book recommendation for you. Awesome. Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Hmm. We're going we're gonna to be doing a podcast on it next week, but it's a, it's a very, cool. very good book. And it's, you know, it's about uh, communication hmm. with, with compassion. Compassion doesn't mean indirect. Hmm. Compassion is actually direct. So it's, it's a fantastic book, but just as an aside. Um, what about taking risks? You know, so, you know, a, a lot of what you talked about, even at the beginning of the, of your, you know, Anderson painting was a, was risky, mm -hmm. um, but it's a service industry and it's, you know, residential, the residential market is still pretty strong right now. So from the outside, maybe it doesn't look risky, but yeah, probably different from the inside. Doesn't it feels different? Yeah. I, with risk, I try to educate myself and my team as much as possible before kind of heading into a new area or a new risk. Um, I definitely um, try to seek counsel from other people that may have gone before me in the same area. That's just super, super important. And then um, kind of in the end, I think usually I go, I go on my gut and determine kind of what what uh what's at risk and then make a decision to move forward i definitely talk with my um coach my business coaches as well just to make sure it seems like we're doing the right thing with new risks but um steve loves where... steve loves risks so yeah you got good support there yeah definitely. yeah so yeah uh, i i enjoy risk it's it's challenging and stressful at times, but I think in the end we learn and um, can conquer it. Good. That's fantastic. Um, what about any recommendations for the listeners out there? Yes, this is a tough one for me, but it's important to take rest often. <laughs> I have actually not taking that advice over the past few months. And I feel like I need to take a good vacation, which is coming up here. Thanksgiving. I'm planning on taking the whole week off. So I'm extremely excited about that. A whole week. Wait, will yeah. you travel? Do you travel to your family or is it just going to be in, in town? It'll be um, at the beach. So I'm just driving a few hours, getting away from kind of the normal environment and, should be pretty low key down there. I'm hoping yeah. it's decent weather, but, uh, you know, you, 
you say rest. And sometimes we think of rest as being like putting everything down and closing your eyes and resting, but Mm. you actually travel pretty extensively. And so resting Mm -hmm. for you could also mean, or for other people out there, resting could mean just separating yourself from this and doing something different because it's the, it's the, um, the switch you make in your brain, right? You you just turn that switch to something different. That's That's rest. Yes, yeah. that's exactly how I would put it. Switching away from work and maybe into an adventure or yeah. or into the outdoors or or just putting yeah, putting those stresses down and yeah. um, spending time with family and um in a different environment really gives me rest. All right, Nate, what, what didn't I ask that you feel is important mm. for our listeners to hear? It does take, I, I guess there's a few things that I didn't, you know, elaborate on. It definitely, it definitely takes a support team. Um, my wife is super supportive of my mission, of our mission, I guess I should say. And that is, that is super critical to um, success in this type of work. Um, if you don't have a group of people around you that share the same vision or passion or mission, or all three of those, then it's going to be hard to continue in it or with that mission. Um, I like that. that the culture piece, right? You know, we, we always talk about hiring for culture. I mean, certainly Mm -hmm. you mentioned Megan and, and her support of you and not only as a part of the business, but, but how you run the business um, is important, but the culture of your hires, um, you know, if you're going to have make a hire for a hard crack in, profit-oriented, bottom-line-only kind of person might not fit. Might not. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, yep. Um, yep. well, Nate, it's just been so fantastic getting to talk about this with you. And thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with our uh, listeners. Um, the the work that you do is important, I know, not only to yourself, but also to the people who are employed by Anderson Painting. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.